Welcome to this week's Rashi Shear, brought to you from the Bet Midrash of Mizrahi in Melbourne, Australia. So we continue in Perak Lamad Aleph, and we're up to Pasuk Kaf. But it's important just to see Pasuk Lamad Yud Tet again, because it's going to be relevant. What we read in Yud Tet is Valavan Halach Ligzoz Etzono. Lavan went to um, shear his sheep. And Rashi says there, Shanatan Banav, Derech Shaloshet Yomim Beino Uvein Yaakov. It was a three day journey between him and Yaakov. So Lavan goes away. It takes him three days to get to where his sheep are, and then he is three days away from Yaakov. Um, <clears throat> and we also know that in that pasuk, "Betignov Rachel et Hatrafim," Rachel took the avodazara that Lavan used, which will become very relevant a little bit later. Pasuk Kaf says, "Vayignov Yaakov et Lev Lavan." Yaakov literally stole the heart of Lavan ha'arami. Ad beli hagidlo ki borehu because he didn't, or without telling him that he was fleeing. So he ran away with his family, almost like a thief in the night, without telling um, Lavan. Pasukaf Aleph, Vayivrach Hu, Bechol Ashelo, he and all of it that was his ran away, Vayakam, and he arose, Vayavur et Hanahar, and crossed the river, Vayasem et Panav Har Hagilad, and put his face towards Har Hagilad. So he's heading away from sort of Syria, <coughs> towards Israel, towards Gilad. And then Pasuk Kafbet, because there's no Rashi on Kaf or Kaf Aleph, Kafbet says, And it was told to Lavan on the third day that Yaakov had fled. So why was it told to Lavan on the third day? So Rashi says, because there was a three-day journey between them. Now, this is what Rashi added in his explanation of Yud Tet. Rashi said that the sheep shearing that Lavan went to was three days away from Yaakov. And I think he said that then in order to explain now why it takes three days for the news to get to Lavan. So if Lavan and Yaakov were in the same place, then Lavan would have known or would have been told straight away that Yaakov had fled. So why does it take three days? Because as Rashi has already said, um, Yaakov was three days away. So what happens is Yaakov goes and a messenger goes from where Yaakov was to where Lavan is, and it takes him three days to get there. That's why it is told to Lavan on the third day. So Rashi has explained where this third day comes from. Um, otherwise, right, if Rashi hadn't said anything, or rather Rashi needs to say something, because otherwise what's the significance of Yom HaShlishi? Um, where does that come from and why is it relevant to the story? And also Rashi wants to set us up for the next Pasuk, which has another time frame stroke distance reference. And Rashi wants to explain where that comes from. Because in Pasuk Kav Gimel, we read, He, that's Lavan, took his brothers, Imo, with him, and he chased after him, Lots of pronouns here. Lavan chased after Yaakov. Derech shivat yamim, a journey of seven days. oto bahar hagilad, and he caught up with him, literally stuck to him, in har hagilad. So first of all, just a one-word Rashi on the problem of the word achiv. Sorry, echov. Um, 
Lavan's echav, Lavan's brothers. Says Rashi, Kurovav, his relatives. Now, why does Rashi say this? Because we have no reference anywhere else to Lavan having brothers. In fact, we know a bit about Lavan's immediate family. There was Lavan and there was Rivka, the children of Betuel, and there was no one else. So um, we don't know who these brothers are. So Rashi says, don't worry. Echav doesn't necessarily mean brothers. It can mean relatives. Um, for instance, in Perut Yud Gimel, Pasuket, um, Abraham said to Lot, we are achim, we are brothers. And Rashi explained there doesn't mean he, we are brothers, literally, but it means we are relatives. Incidentally, um, in Pasuk Lamad Aleph Mem Vav, Yaakov gathers his echav um, for the final sort of farewell between him and Lavad. He gathers his brothers. And Rashi says there that Yaakov's brothers um, for those listening on a podcast, I'm doing air quotes around the word brothers, um, are his sons. So that's also, perhaps stretching a little bit further, a meaning of the word echav. Incident, it's interesting that Rashi doesn't suggest that that's what Lavan took here, that Lavan's brothers, he doesn't suggest, are his sons, which would have been a good explanation because we know that Lavan did have sons. But Rashi rejects that and says, in the case of Lavan, the word brothers refers to his relatives, but in Periglamadala Pasuk Memvav, the word brothers of Yaakov refers to his sons. So I didn't actually see anything on this particular point, but I thought maybe there's a suggestion that Yaakov's relationship with his sons is so good that his sons are like his brothers. Um, brothers being the closest that you can have. Um, whereas Lavan's relationship with his sons is not so good that we don't assume that that's what Lavan's brothers refers to. And Rashi says, no, no, it's not his sons, it's his cousins, etc. Okay, now we have quite a long Rashi explaining Derech Shivat Yamim. Where does it come from that he was a seven day journey away? So Rashi feels the need to explain how, why seven days? And he says like this, Derech Shivat Yamim, Kol Otan Gimel Yamim Shahalach Hamagit all the three days that the messenger, the teller, went in order to tell Lavan, Yaakov was going in the opposite direction. So let's say day one is Sunday. That's when Lavan goes off to shear his sheep. Um, <clears throat> so he takes three days to get there. He doesn't get to his sheep until Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Yaakov on Wednesday sets off. No, Yaakov doesn't have to set off on Wednesday. Yes, Yaakov does set off on Wednesday and Lavan is three days away. So on, by Wednesday, Yaakov and Lavan are already three days apart because Lavan has done the journey. Yaakov sets off on Wednesday and somebody is in Yaakov's camp and reports to Lavan, but it takes him three days to get to where Lavan is. So it takes him Thursday, Friday, Saturday. So he only gets to Lavan on Saturday, by which time, how far away is Yaakov? Seven days. The three days journey that Lavan went in one direction, plus the three, total of four, because of the one day when the messenger left, days that Yaakov is going in the other direction. So, says Rashi, Nimtza, Yaakov, Rachok, Milavan, Shisha, Yamim, sorry. Yaakov is now distant from Lavan six days. 
three days that Lavan went towards shearing a sheep. And then from the time that Lavan got there, Yaakov departs and goes three days in the other direction before Lavan gets the news, making six days distance. Ubashvi hisigo Lavan. And on the seventh day, Lavan catches up with Yaakov. So that would be Sunday in our example. Lamadnu shakol mashalach Yaakov shiva yamim halach Lavan echad. That all that Yaakov went in seven days, Lavan went in one day. Now, there's a slight problem here, because Rashi, when he says all that Yaakov went in seven days, what he means is all that Yaakov could have gone in seven days, because Yaakov only went in four days, three days while the messenger went back to Lavan, one day for Lavan to catch up with him. So Yaakov's only actually been traveling for four days, but he's seven days distant because Lavan went three days in the other direction. And so when it says, Masha halach Yaakov shivat yamim, doesn't quite mean that. Um, and it's uh, with great trepidation do I say that Rashi is not being precise, but he's not being 100% precise here because he means a seven day distance between Lavan and, ya and, and Yaakov, but La Yaakov himself has only been going for four days. But to cover that seven day distance, it's still the case that Lavan went, covered that seven days in one day. Um, and then there's another comment of Rashi uh, which in some editions is in brackets, um, but I think it is genuine Rashi. And it says, <laughs> It says in the Pasuk that Lavan chased after him the journey of seven days. And it doesn't say that he chased after him for seven days, because according to Rashi, he chased after him for one day. You know, and that makes the maths work out. Three days Lavan goes in one direction, three days Yaakov goes in the other direction, and then one day Lavan catches up with him, making the total of the seven days journey. But, and, and Yaakov and Lavan did that in one day. Not that it took him seven days, and it doesn't say the Yeradov Acharav Shivat Yamim, which would have implied that Yaakov, Lavan would have been traveling for seven days. But by that time, Yaakov would have been much further away. So to make all the maths work, Yaakov, sorry, Rashi tells this story. Um, and it makes it a total of seven days distance by the time that Lavan catches up with Yaakov. Pasuk Kaf Dalet, Elokim El Lavan Ha'arami, Bachalom Halayla. God came to Lavan the Aramite in the dream of the night, Vayomelo, and he said to him, Hishomelacha, take care, Pentadaber im Yaakov mitov ad ra lest you speak with Yaakov from good to bad. So Hashem appears to Lavan, which is interesting in its own right, because Lavan gets some sort of level of nevuah, which is surprising given that he doesn't really deserve it, but that's not our topic right now. Um, Rashi comments on the words, mitov ad ra, and he says, kol tovatan shel rashayim ra'a hi etzel hasadikim. All the good of wicked people is bad when it comes to the righteous people. Which means, uh, as Rashi himself says, we're commenting on this source, this, this line that appears in the Gemara in Yavamat Kuf Gimel, Amad Bet. Um, Rashi says there that, that Sadiqim don't want to benefit from anything that Rashayim have given them. Uh, it doesn't quite say why, but I think it's obvious that um, anything that a Rasha gives to a Tzaddik might be tainted 
in, in some way, either simply because it's come from the Russia or it's begun, it's ill-begotten. So Sadiqim don't want anything from Rashaim, either good or bad. And what Rashi is doing is explaining the, I think, the obvious question that it's obvious, it's all right, it makes sense for Hashem to tell Lavan not to do anything bad to Yaakov. Why does Hashem tell Lavan not to do anything good to Yaakov? And the answer is because when a Russia does something good to a tzaddik, it's bad, it's considered bad by the tzaddik. But Rashi's also, I think, answered another question, um, which is sort of what the Taz with Divrei David says. Hashem, uh, the, the problem in the verse, which, which a lot of people do comment on, um, is what Hashem actually says is, Hishamelacha pentadaber im Yaakov mitov agra, lest you speak with Yaakov, good or bad. So what exactly is Hashem telling Lavan not to do? It looks, the simple Bashad is he tells him not to speak to Yaakov and don't say nice things to Yaakov and don't say bad things to Yaakov. That is hard to accept uh, if that's the Bashat. Why? Because as we will see very soon, Lavan has a lot to say to Yaakov. Lavan talks and talks and talks with Yaakov. Now, you could say that Lavan just ignored what Hashem said. That also is hard. Because when Hashem appears to you in a, in a dream, it's, it's, it's not common to completely ignore what he says. Um, and Lavan himself makes reference to having had a message from Hashem. So it, it, it's a hard, it, it's, it's, it's difficult to accept the pshat that says Hashem told Lavan not to speak to Yaakov and he just ignored it and went ahead and did that. What makes more sense is that Hashem told Lavan not to do good or bad to Yaakov. So how do we deal with pentadaber, lest you speak with Yaakov mitov adra? So we can perhaps say that means speak as in plan to do something. Speak as in by way of sort of introduction to doing something. And that's how Rashi understands it. Because this comment, this, this aphorism that Rashi borrows from the Gemara, um, doesn't refer to talking. It refers to doing. It refers to the whole gamut of kol tovatan shal rashayim. All good things of Rashayim is Rahi Etzal Sadiqim. Rashi clearly does not talk just about speaking, but he's talking about everything that a Russia does to its sudden. So it would appear from Rashi, although he doesn't say explicitly, Rashi is saying implicitly that Hashem is warning Lavan not to do good or bad to Yaakov. And then perhaps, although Rashi doesn't say this, but I suggest Pentadaber im Yaakov means lest you speak with Yaakov as a introduction to an action, which is tov or ra, neither good nor bad. Okay, let's move on. Pasuk kafhei, v'yaseg Lavan et Yaakov, Lavan reached Yaakov, v'yaakov taka et ahalo, Yaakov pitched his tent v'har in the mountain, v'lavan taka et echav, and Lavan pitched his brothers, in other words, placed his supporters, v'har hagilat and the mountain of Gilad. No Rashi. Next Pasuk, So as we said, um, Lavan certainly doesn't hold back from speaking to Yaakov, hence the comment I made on Pasuk Kavdalar. So Lavan says to Yaakov, What have you done? You stole my heart. And you led away my daughters, Kishvuat Cherev, like prisoners of the sword. So this is Lavan's uh, 
claim against Yaakov, which he expresses quite strongly in the next few verses, that Yaakov ran away and took away Lavan's own children and did it in a secretive manner. Now, Rashi has something to say on Kishvuat Cherev, and Rashi says, Kol chayal haba kurui cherev. All force or army that comes to war is called a sword. So Rashi is doing something that Rashi does from time to time, um, which is a little bit um, counterintuitive at first, because Rashi says, I'm coming to give you the pshat. And sometimes he tells you that the word does not mean what it looks like. So cherev means sword. Kishvuyot uh, cherev means like prisoners of the sword. Um, so Rashi saying, it doesn't mean sword. It just means a force, like a military force. So, by the way, what, what really is going on is, as Nakam Volevitz puts it, and I actually heard this from our own lips, is this is the difference between mashma'ut and pshat. Mashma'ut, from the word shema to hear, is what is the literal meaning of the word. Pshat is the simple meaning of the text. So the literal meaning of the word cherev is sword. Um, however, says Rashi, it shouldn't be read in the literal meaning. It should be read in a little bit of an idiomatic, idiomatic sense. Um, a military force is called cherev, is called sword. So here the word cherev means military force. It doesn't mean literally sword. Now, um, so as I say, the literal meaning is sword, but the actual meaning, the pshat, is something else. Difference between literal meaning and simple meaning, if you like. Now, why does Rashi have to say this? Because um, Laban is accusing Yaakov of taking away captives, if we took it literally, by the sword. And what does that mean he plans to do to them? What do you normally do with swords? You kill them. But no one suggests, and there's no suggestion in the text, that Yaakov is killing Rachel and Leah. I mean, it's not the sort of thing that he would do to his wives. It, that that, that is, makes no sense. Makes no sense in the whole context of what Lavan and Yaakov are doing at this point. Therefore, Rashi has to say, if Lavan has described them as Shavuot Cherev, that's not what it means, hence the comment of Rashi. Okay, Pasuk Kaf Zayin continues Lavan. Lama nach beta, why did you secretly live Roach, or why did you plan secretly to flee? Vitignov oti, literally, you stole me. And you didn't tell me, I, you didn't tell me you were going. And I would have sent you away. With joy. And with songs. With drums or maybe timbrels. And a lyre. L-Y-R-E. Unlike L-I-R-A-L-I-A-R, which might be a better description of Laban himself. Lavan is, as we've seen many times, a master of the words that sound right, um, that might be deceptive. So Lavan says, had I been told that you were on your way, I would have sent you off with a fantastic celebration with musical instruments. Anyway, Rashi doesn't talk about that, but Rashi does talk about the words, the tignov oti. Says Rashi, it means ganavta et da'ati. Is when the, the Pasuk says, you stole me, it means you stole my mind, as what we call today, you misled me. You misled me. Why does Rashi have to say this? 
Uh, and I think, by the way, we've, we found already this evening quite a few what I would call simple rushes, where he's doing a straightforward job. And the straightforward job he's doing in this pasuk is explaining why it says, which sounds like you stole me, which sounds like Laban is saying, you took me away, you, you know, wrapped me up in chains and you put me on the car and you took me away, which clearly is not what's happening. So it must be, said Rashi, not that you stole me, but you stole my dart. In other words, you misled me. And that's what the Tignov Oti means. Interestingly, in the previous verse, we have the Tignov et Lavavi. You stole my heart. And in Pasukaf, the Yignov Yaakov et Lev Lavan. This is not Lavan talking. This is the narrator talking. Yaakov stole the heart of Lavan. So twice it says the heart of Lavan in Pasuk Kaf and in Pasuk um, Kaf Vav. But only in Pasuk Kaf Zion does Rashi make this point where it says the Tignov Oti. And uh, this is not such a clever point because it's obvious why. Because when it says the Tignov et Lavavi, Rashi doesn't need to say anything because it obviously refers to you stole my heart, you stole my knowledge, you confused me, you misled me. But in Pasuk Kaf Zion, where it says Vitignov Oti, that's more problematic because it sounds like you stole me personally, physically. So Rashi has to say that's not what happened. Pasuk Kaf Chet, below Natash, Natashtani, um, you did not suffer me or you did not allow me, to kiss my sons and my daughters. Ata hiskalta asu. Now, um, a bad thing you have done. Um, how does it translate his culture? Uh, now you have acted foolishly. You have acted foolishly. Pastor Kaftet, Yeshla El Yadi, there is to the power of my hand, La Asot Imachem Ra, to do bad with you. For Eloke Abichem, the Vav here I think means but, but the God of your father, Emesh, last night, or last evening, or yesterday eve, to be really posh, Omar Eli said to me, they more saying, take care, from rather to, not to speak with Yaakov, good or bad. So a few things before we get to Rashi. Here, as I promised earlier, Lavan is referencing the, the encounter that Lavan had with God himself. And he's saying that God told me not to speak with you, good or bad. Now, again, I think this certainly um, reinforces what I said earlier, which I think Rashi was saying as well, but this is not Hashem's instruction to Lavan. It's not about not speaking with Yaakov, because it would be absurd for Lavan to, in the course of his quite lengthy conversation, say, Hashem told me not to speak to you. That's somewhat self-contradictory. So it makes much more sense as actually refers to not doing with Yaakov, good or bad. Now, um, let's look at Rashi, but sort of having, uh, uh, have your finger on the original. Uh, I'll say again, the this is a Rashi where at least in the first part of the Pasuk of Pasuk Kavtet, Rashi just restates the Pasuk with some little differences. So the Pasuk says, Yesh le'el yadi la'asot imachem, ra. Rashi's version is, Yesh koach v'chayil yadi la'asot imachem ra. So it really is a rewriting of the words. It's got the same yesh at the beginning. It's got the same yadi. It's got la'asot imachem ra. 
But what has Rashid changed? So basically it's three things. First of all, the word El. Now, the problem with the word El is we normally assume it means God. Um, we normally pronounce it as Kel. Now, Rashi's going to deal with that. And he'll come to that in the next part of the Rashi. But first of all, he's replaced El by Koach Vachayil, which means strength and more strength, if you like. Um, two words which are pretty synonymous in English. Strength and power. So it, Rashi has taken the word El, which we might get confused by and not know what it means, and it has replaced it by Koach Vachayil. So now it would read Yesh Le Koach Vachayil Yadi. But there's two more changes that Rashi has done. He has taken away the Lamad of Yesh Le El Yadi. Now El is replaced by Koach Vachayil, but there's no Lamad before Koach Vachayil, like there was a Lamad before El. And he's put in a bet before Bayadi. In the original, there was just Yesh la El Yadi. Now, Yesh, Koach Vachayel, translation of El, but without the Lamad, but Yadi, with a bet. And it makes much more sense. There is power in my hand. Beautiful, because Yesh la El Yadi, there is to the power of my hand, doesn't translate well. Now, it's interesting that sometimes a Lamad can replace a bet. A good example is Shmuel Aleph Chet Yudalad, Vayhi David Lachol Derachav Maskil. David was wise. Now, what would we expect? Bechol Derachav in all his ways. But we don't get Bechol Derachav in that part. So we get Lachol Derachav. We get literally to all his ways. So that's an example brought by the grammarians uh, that sometimes a Lamad can take on the meaning of a bet. So that Pasuk in Shmuel Aleph does mean. David was wise in all his ways, even though it's written as lechol derachav, because lechol can sometimes mean in all. And similarly here, the lamad of yesh l'el yadi has this, can be replaced by a bet, or rather the lamad is a replacement for a bet. So Rashi has taken away the lamad and put back in a bet. But Rashi has done more than that. He switched the bet, sorry, the letter, the lamad that turns into a bet from the word l'el, and put the bet before Yadi to make it the Yadi. So all in all, Rashi has told us what El means, and Rashi has swapped, swapped the Lamad for a bet, because the bet is the more natural translation, and moved the Lamad to where it fits, from El to Yadi, which is now a bet, and it's now the Yadi. And now we understand it, and now it means there is power in my hand to do bad with you. But Hashem appeared and said, don't. And then Rashi deals with something else. Our perhaps um, discomfort with using the word El, which we normally reserve for God. So he says, V'chol El shahu Lashon Kodesh al shem izuz v'rov onim hu. Whenever you find El, which is a expression, a, a holy expression, i.e. a name of God, i.e. what we would call Kel, it's al shame. It's because of Izuz, the strengthening, the rov onim, and the great might, or the lots of might, that is associated with Hashem. Now, let me just go backtrack a bit. As is well known, we have a number of different names for Hashem. And the different names represent different aspects of Hashem. Yudke Vavke represents Hashem's mercy. It also represents Hashem's eternity. 
And it also represents a sort of personal connection with Hashem. Elohim, or Kel, is another name for God, and it refers to God's might and power. I'll just mention this because I think it's just such an important example. Many times a day we say a bracha, and we say, Baruch Hashem, Elokeinu Melech HaOlam. We relate to Hashem, Yudke Vavke, who's the personal, merciful God. And then immediately we stand back in sort of awe and fear. And we talk about Elokeinu, Melech Olam, the mighty God who's king of all the universe. Um, so Rashi is saying, you know what? I've translated El here as powerful, but that's not unconnected to the fact that Elohim or Kel is also a name of God because it refers to God's power. I'll just mention that Elohim also means in a non-Kodesh way, judges, because that's part of the God of might, the God of power who can punish the wicked and redeem the righteous, the God who is our judge. Um, okay, so what Rashi did there is said, um, El does mean koach v'chayel, means strength and power, don't think it always means God, because when it does mean God, it does that precisely because it refers to the power that God has. Let's move on. Pasuk Lamed continues the words of Lavan, and now you have gone, because you have Surely, well, Rashi's going to tell us what it means, but I'll tell you now, it, you have longed or you have yearned. And the double um, construction means, well, we normally translate it in biblical English as you have surely yearned, or you've learned, yearned a lot. Levait avicha, for the house of your father. In other words, you've been desperate to get back to Yitzhak's house. And then, Lavan throws in, Lama ganavta et Elohai. Why have you stolen my gods? So we need to um, understand what nichsaf nichsavta means. Uh, and I think Rashi is assuming we're just not familiar with the word. Uh, and we can also ask, how does that link to, how do we link the Lama Ganavta et Elohai to the first part of the verse? That's not for Rashi, but perhaps it's, it's sort of implied. So Rashi says on the word nichsavta, chemadta. So hamad is to desire or to yearn. You yearned. Um, as I say, in English, it doesn't quite work because we've translated, nichsavta is probably translated in the same way as hamadta, but Rashi has replaced an unfamiliar word with a more familiar word. By the way, he's also taken exactly what the Targum Onkelos says. Targum Onkelos translates nichsav by hamidta from the same root hamad, and just in the Aramaic form. So hamad as in to desire, uh, actually also as in to covet, lo tachmod, isherecha, etc. In the 10th of the, the uh, 10th of the Aserta Dibrot. Um, um, but it, it, again, what I think Rashi is doing is replacing a obscure word with a well-known word. And he says, There are many examples of this root, kaf samach pei, in the Tanakh. Uh, which you can see, and he'll show you a couple of examples, and you can work out from the context, but it must be to desire. So, nafshi. The subject is nafshi, it's in Tehillim Peridalad, sorry, Tehillim Peidalad. My soul, 
Nixafa uh, yearns, and also kalta, um, might be translated as pines or wears away. So what does the soul do? It yearns for things. Uh, another example from Eyal Perigudalad, Lamase Yadecha Tichsof. You yearn for the work of your hands. Again, if you look at those psukim um, in their context, you'll see that it's obvious what Tichsof means. It must mean this idea of yearning. Now, I, I said that we can perhaps link the first part of the passage with the second part, although Rashi doesn't make this point. Because you yearn to get back to your father's house, the last thing that you would want to take to your father's house is household gods, is a vodazara. So therefore, perhaps we can say that Lavan says to Yaakov, you want to go to your father's house, then in which case, why have you taken my gods? And now, by the way, um, Lavan is moving to the next part of his argument. He said, number one, you ran away without telling me. Yaakov hasn't replied to that. Now Lavan says, you've taken something of mine. And at this point, Yaakov gets a bit cross. And then after, um, I'll jump ahead for a moment, uh, but just to set the scene, Lavan then searches for the gods, doesn't find them. And then Yaakov gets, lets it all out. The, the pent-up anger of 20 years comes out. Um, but at this point, Yaakov's not quite there yet, but he's bothered by the fact that, well, by the questions that Yaakov, Lavan asks. So we have in Lamadala. Vayan Yaakov, Yaakov answered, Vayomer Lavan, and he said to Lavan, Ki yareti, because I was afraid, Ki amarti, let, uh, because I said, Pen tigzol et bonotecha me'imi, lest you steal your daughters from me. I was afraid that you would, that I, because I said that you're going to, or you're liable to, steal my, my, your daughters, i.e. my wives, away from me. If I had told you that I was going, that's what you would have done. Says Rashi, Kiyareti, Heshivo al Rishon Rishon. He answered the first first, Sha'amar lo, because he said to him, i.e. Lavan said to Yaakov, V'tanaheik epanotai, you've led away my daughters like captives. Um, What's Rashi doing? Well, the problem is that Lavan has asked too many questions. He says, why have you led away my daughters like captives? Why have you stolen my gods? Right, Yaakov answers, because I was afraid you would keep your daughters. You would steal your daughters. Um, I don't think that's a pun on what Yaakov has just been accused of, because it's a different word in Hebrew for stealing. Um, but if you look at the last thing that Lavan said, Lama ganavta et Elohai, how is Yaakov answering that by saying, That's no answer to the question that Lavan just asked. So Rashi has to explain that Yaakov is answering the earlier question, first of all. The next verse is going to answer the question about the alleged theft of the gods. But the, what Yaakov is doing in Lamad Aleph is answering the, the question that was asked um, way back in uh, Kaf. Uh, well, really, Kaf Hey, Kaf Vav, and Kaf Zion. Um, so, 
Otherwise, you would not understand what ya question Yaakov is answering. Rashi says, Heshiva al-Rishon Rishon. He answers the questions in order, which, by the way, is the mark of a wise man in Pikeava Perakei Pasuk Zion, which gives a number of uh, uh, descriptions of a wise person. And one of them is Heshiva al-Rishon Rishon. They answer questions in order. So that's Yaakov's answer to Lavan's first question. What about Yaakov's, uh, Lavan's final question? about the theft of his terafim, his household gods. Pasuk Lamed Bet, Im asher timsa et elohecha, with whomever you find your gods, lo yichieh, will not live. Neged achenu, in front of our brothers, haker lacha ma imadi, recognize to yourself what is with me, the lach, and take it to you. Uh, I'm just going to go straight to Rashi. I'm going to go out of order. Rashi on Ma Imadi says, Rashi, Mishalacha. When the, the words are, what is with, are with me? And Rashi adds, of yours. Because what, uh, until we get to that Rashi, it sounds like Yaakov is saying, Whatever's, uh, whatever stuff I've got, whatever is Imadi, kach lacha, kach lacha, take for yourself. So Rashi has to explain that Yaakov is not like opening house and saying, take, come, and, come and take whatever you want. That's not the point at all. He's saying, look for what is of yours amongst my possessions. And if you find something of yours, you can take it. That's Rashi adding the word Mishalacha after the words Ma'imadi. Uh, uh, when Yaakov says, you can take what's with me, he means you can take what's with me that belongs to you. Otherwise, it doesn't make sense what Yaakov is saying. Now, uh, continues the end of the passage. Yaakov did not know that Rachel had taken them. So again, on the opening words that Yaakov says, With whom you find your gods, that person will not live. Says Rashi, Lo and from that curse, Rachel died on the way. So we know, because we've been let into the secret, that Rachel had taken the Trafim. And incidentally, in case we had forgotten, the Pasuk reminds us. The Pasuk says at the end, And why is that relevant? Why does the Pasuk need to tell us that? So the answer for that is what Rashi says here. When Yaakov says, with whomever shall be found, your gods, lo yichieh, will not live, he's actually invoking a klala, which we translate as curse. Curse sounds a bit sort of mystical and cultish, but that's probably the best translation. And the words of a tzaddik have a rosham, have an effect. Uh, and if the tzaddik asks for something from Hashem, then especially when the tzaddik is Yaakov Avinu, Hashem is likely to respond positively. So if Yaakov says, effectively, the person who has the gods should not live, then Hashem will bring it about, but that person does not live. And hence Rashi says, But because Rashi says that Rachel is the unfortunate victim of Yaakov's words, that explains why the Pasuk says, 
that Yaakov did not know that Rachel stole them. If it hadn't been for the fact that Rachel was going to die as a result of Yaakov's words, then the Pasuk wouldn't have needed to say that Yaakov didn't know that Rachel had stolen them. Now, why does uh, Rashi say this is a klala? So the clue might be in the words, lo yichia. That person will not live. Now, the Torah has um, a very common uh, reference to people who are put to death. If they've done something bad, they're put to death, yamut, they will die. But it doesn't say yamut here. It says lo yichia, which sounds like, number one, it might not happen immediately. Yamut means put to death as soon as they're found out. And lo yichia doesn't mean immediately. But more importantly, yamut means a earthly court has the job of putting people to death. Let's just remember the Torah does have the death penalty. It was in practice, it was used very, very sparingly, but it does exist. And when the Torah says yamut, it means that if a person has committed a certain capital offense and under certain conditions, the bet din, the court, put him or her to death. But lo yichiyah doesn't imply an, uh, a duty on human beings, but rather it's a statement, this person will not live as if that is left up to Hashem. And that's what Rashi says that from this klala, this curse, which is really invoking of Hashem's action, something's going to happen, and Rachel is going to die, Baderech, on the way. Now, let's just talk about this, uh, about her dying on the way. So we know from the end of Pasha Vayishlach, it's very sad, that Rachel, um, on their way back to Yitzchak's house, just before they get to Yitzchak's house, in fact, the very last act before that, is Rachel gives birth to her second son, Binyamin, but as a result of the traumatic childbirth, she dies. And she's buried there on the way, on the way to Efrat, in the place that becomes later known as Kevarachel. In um, Memchet Pasuk Zayin, and we've talked about this before, but we'll talk about it again because it's relevant to this Pasuk. Um, Yaakov says to Yosef, I buried your mother, Rachel, on the way. And you should know that I did this because Hashem told me to. And Rashi explains there a, a poignant and beautiful midrash that when the Jews are exiled into Babel, they will pass Kever Rachel, and Rachel will come out of her Kever and daven for them, and Hashem will hear her prayers. Um, so it sounds like that she dies on the way and is buried on the way for a special positive reason, not for a negative reason because she was inadvertently cursed by Yaakov. How can we reconcile? these two rushes? So the answer is actually it's not that hard because I, I deliberately uh, sort of uh, conflated two things which don't need to be conflated. One is where she dies and the other is where she's buried. So she dies on the way to Efrat. Now we don't know exactly if it's the same Efrat we have today, but it was, couldn't have been that far away from Hebron. So it could well be that she died. It could have been she died and then Yaakov takes her after her death all the way to Marat and there she is buried. It occurs to me, but after all, Yaakov, when he died, was taken a much greater distance from Mitzrayim all the way to Marat So it surely would have been possible for Yaakov to take Rachel after she died to Marat from wherever she died. So it could well be that she died on the way because of the curse that Yaakov uh, uttered, as Rashi says here. She's buried on the way for a completely different reason. Because once she dies, Yaakov had the choice. Do I bury her here where she died or do I take her to Marat That's what Rashi says in Perak Memchet Pasuk Zion 
that Yaakov knew he should bury her on the way for the positive reason of that she could then in a future life govern for the those Jews going into exile. We can also say um, a, a nice connection between the fact that she died, even it sort of contradicts what I just said, but the fact that she died in this circumstance actually links to the fact that she, after her death, is going to pray for B'nai Israel not to suffer too much in exile. Why did she die? Because Yaakov cursed the one who'd taken the Trafim, which turned out to be Rachel. Why did Rachel take the Trafim? Because she wanted to disassociate her father from Avodazara, as Rashi himself said. Why does Rachel in the Midrash in the future daven on behalf of B'nai Israel when they're going into exile? Because she wants them to do Teshuvah. And in fact, if she can earn merit for them, it's because they have done Teshuvah. Teshuvah from what sin? From the sin of Avodazara, which was the sin in Bayat Rishon, in the time, or the, that and a couple of others, was the big sin for which they were punished in, Bayat, in the destruction of Bayat Rishon, of the first temple. So there's, if you like, a connection between Rachel here dying because she tried to keep her father separate from Avodazara, and Rachel, who the Midrash says in the future will come out and daven for Bnei Israel when they are also disassociating themselves from Avodazara. Okay, we're going to stop soon because we need to light candles because it's the last night of Hanukkah. Um, but I think we will do one more Pasuk. Pasuk Lamad Gimel. No, in fact, sorry, I changed my mind. Because Pasuk Lamad Gimel it requires a lot of work. Um, and I don't want to rush it through the next few minutes. So I think we will close here. Um, next week, which will be the last shear of this season before we have a break for the summer break. Um, next week, we will start with Pasuk Lamad Gimel. But we will close there and we wish a Hanukkah Sameach to all. Thank you very much. Hanukkah Sameach. Thank you.